0: Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. And I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be studying verses one 1- through fourteen. But by way of introducing our study, I'm going to read verses one through three. So Matthew twenty four will begin at verse one and in an honor of God, would you stand now for the reading of God's Word to show your respect and your adoration for the Lord Jesus Christ? Matthew twenty four, verse one. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came out out to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see these things? Truly I say to you that not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Lord, as we stand before you to honor you as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, we pray now that you'll speak to all of us right where we're living. And we'll not only receive your word, but we will believe your word, and we will act upon your word in faith. And Lord, as always, may this time be centered on you through your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A long time to stand through the whole sermon, so get comfortable. Everyone is interested in the future. Everyone. If there's anything COVID has shown us with so much uncertainty about the future, Is we're all wondering, how long is this going to last with COVID? We thought we were clearing it about June of this year, and then the Delta variant showed up. Then this past week, the Omicron variant has showed up in South Africa and other places around the world, and we're wondering, oh, my goodness, what is this going to mean? And that affects the economy. We saw the stock market plummet on Friday because of concerns about another variant of COVID how is it going to affect the economy how is it going to affect us politically we know that interestingly enough division politically has been even greater in many ways through COVID when you think it might be one thing to join us together and then there are big questions of even greater importance like where are the Razorbacks going to go to a bowl this year you know things that really are heavy on your mind so what is it that you want to know about the future we all are interested how is it going to affect us well the disciples were no different they wanted to know about the future as well and so in these first three verses let me give you a little background to get the setting they are sitting on the Mount of Olives if you ever go to Israel you can sit on the Mount of Olives today and look out over the old city of Jerusalem now what they saw was different because they were admiring the ancient temple And King Herod the Great had built this giant platform to kind of showcase the temple of Israel. And it was really one of the majestic sites of the ancient world. So they are admiring all of this. And Jesus tells his disciples, he said, look, there'll be a time where not one stone from that temple will be left standing. And that stunned them. They couldn't imagine that'd be the case. It'd be like you and I standing on the Jersey Shore, looking out at the World Trade Towers on September 1st, 2001. And somebody walks up and says, you know, there'll be a day where not one beam of steel will be left standing on those buildings. And you think, how could that be? And then September 11th came. And it occurred. And so what Jesus said to the disciples stunned them. They couldn't grasp it. But you go to Israel today, and if you're at the south side of the western wall, you can see some of those giant stones that were pushed over off of that platform where the Romans destroyed the temple in 70 AD in fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. And so it so stunned the disciples what Jesus was saying that they said to him, well, in verse 3, well, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In other words, the disciples like you and me wanted to know about the future. What is going to happen? And specifically, what about the second coming of Jesus? And what about the end of the age? And so Jesus begins to respond to their request. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. Now understand this about biblical prophecy. There are a lot of goofballs out there when it comes to biblical prophecy. And there'll even be those folks that come up with all this magic formula about when exactly Jesus is going to come again and they'll pinpoint a date and all. It's amazing to me how many Christians in the church get wrapped up in what is clearly a false prophet. Because Jesus tells in this very chapter in Matthew 24 that it's all about His second coming that no one knows the date or the time of His coming. But Jesus says, I don't want you to be misled. I want you to be aware of the signs. In other words, the increasing signs that will occur to know that we are rapidly approaching the second coming of Jesus Christ. So he talks about those in verse five, sign number one. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. Now the word Christ is the Greek word for the Jewish word for Messiah. In other words, Jesus is saying, you can count on the fact that more and more are going to come claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be the Christ, or claiming to be the second coming of Jesus. Don't be misled by that. That's sign number one. Sign number two in verse six. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, one thing about wars and rumors of wars that kind of startles people is they're only increasing. I want you to look at this chart going all the way back to 1500, and you'll see going through the 20th century how dramatically casualties of wars have increased over these last centuries do you realize there were more casualties of war in the 20th century than all 19 centuries combined before that that's pretty dramatic and think about the fact that the 21st century began with 9-11 think about what we might face in this coming century with about four-fifths of it still to go. Jesus says there'll be wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. That's sign number two. But sign number three, verse 7b. And there will be famines and earthquakes. He's talking about natural disasters. Now, whether that is a flood, whether that is a hurricane, whether it's a tsunami, whatever it may be, whether it's COVID and plagues that come along, He said, just count on the fact you're going to see an increase. Now, look at this chart that is out of Belgium concerning natural disasters from 1900 through 2019. And what you see is an increase, decrease, increase, decrease, but a gradual rising and increase as you see the decreases along the way. Now, don't forget that. Don't forget that graph because it's important to what Jesus wants us to understand Obviously, the number of natural disasters is increasing dramatically over the last century. So how do we make sense of this? We'll go to verse eight and see what Jesus says. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Now, what is Jesus trying to say? Well, first of all, let me give you a confession. I've never had a baby. I don't personally know what birth pains are like. I know that may be shocking to some of you because a lot of folks want us to have a genderless society. But I just don't think any men are going to have babies. I don't think it's going to happen. I've never had a baby, but my wife has had three. We have three sons. And I learned a little bit about birth pains because of what I saw my wife going through when she went into labor with our three boys. And it's also interesting to note that I'm, I'm a boomer. The baby boomer generation, when we came along, we felt like we had to have a class for everything. So baby boomers came up with the idea that we would have these Lamaze classes to learn how to have a baby. You know, mankind's been having babies all the way back to Neanderthal, man. But baby boomers are arrogant enough to feel like we need a class to learn how. So we went to Lamaze class, and they taught us how to breathe and gave me instruction about how I could remind my wife Ann how to breathe when she went into labor. And they taught me how to rub her back to make it less painful when she was going through labor. And so our first son was about to be born. And we'd been in the hospital a while while she was in labor, waiting the birth of that baby. And I had been rubbing her back for about an hour and a half. And I turned to her and I said, honey, this rubbing your back is wearing me out. Oh, my goodness. I want you to know my wife is a beautiful lady a lovely lady but she looked at me with dagger eyes at that point to talk about the audacity that i was getting worn out rubbing her back when she was in labor those of you who've given birth you know how ridiculous it was the stupidest statement in the history of men really it was dumb because when a woman's going through labor it intensifies all your concentration but what do you learn about birth pains now everybody listen are you listening Those of you who have gone into labor know that at first you're not even completely sure you're going into labor. You feel kind of funny. And then the labor pains are very irregular, not that intense. But the closer and closer you get to the birth of that child, the more regular and the more intense and predictable they become. Which is a sign you're getting closer and closer to the birth of the baby. And yet here's another thing about labor once that child is born and you hold that baby in your arms you very quickly forget the pain of birth pains as you're overwhelmed with the joy of giving birth to new life to that child. Now do you see what Jesus is teaching everybody do you see what he's teaching? These signs, whether it's false messiahs, or wars and rumors of wars, or whether it's natural disasters, they've been going on all along. But what Jesus is saying is, they're gonna increase and decrease. They're gonna increase and decrease. They're gonna become more intense and more regular the closer you get to the second coming. Think about this last year with the hurricane season. Last year in 2020, amidst COVID, there were so many hurricanes that they went through the English alphabet in naming them. They had to start using the Greek alphabet. You had to be in a fraternity or sorority to even know what those names meant. I mean, that's what it was. But this year, it was Hurricane Ida was really pretty much the one in the news. One of the things that send Relief that we've been trying to do is to help the disaster relief teams in the state of Louisiana because there are 116 churches without a facility today because of hurricane ida and we're trying to find partner churches perhaps like second baptist conway that can partner with one of those churches lost their facility that needs financial support that needs that needs volunteer teams to come and help them rebuild just as a part of ministry when others brothers in christ are hurting in a time of need but it's a reminder last season the hurricane season was very different from this season but like birth pains it intensifies And then it subsides it intensifies and subsides so Jesus is saying this is how you can understand the signs of his rapidly approaching coming again but he also says to us that tough days are ahead for Christians look beginning at verse 9 he says then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name now Jesus is talking about an increase in persecution and martyrdom of those that are followers of Jesus. Do you realize that there were more martyrs for the church in the 20th century than also than all 19 centuries combined? Now part of the reason for that as is the case with casualties of wars you've got far more population. You've got far more people in the world today. But you say well how can that be in the first century with all the persecution of the early church? Well think about it. Think about what happened with Marxism. In the 20th century and the mega millions that were killed in the Soviet Union and in communist China. But on top of that think about the militancy of radical Islam towards the church and towards Christians. Jesus says persecution and martyrdom is going to only increase. Now some of you say well I know what it's like to be persecuted as a Christian. Really in America you don't. In America we understand discrimination because we're a follower of Christ. It can happen in your family, it can happen in your neighborhood, it can happen at the office. In corporate culture, now that corporate culture has so embraced political correctness as the dominant value system in corporate culture today, you know that sometimes if you take a stand as a Christian and say, I just cannot support this particular thing that our company is supporting, it could cost you a raise, it could cost you a promotion. But we don't face persecution like so many Christians around the world have faced, but we do know this, Discrimination always precedes persecution. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the United States in the days ahead. But he goes on, he says, at that time many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Now, what Jesus is talking about is what is called apostasy. And apostasy means falling away from the faith. In the 20th century, we saw it most dramatically in the European church. For 1,900 years, the European church was the dominant church in Christianity for all the world. But in the 20th century, there was a giant falling away in the European church. You go to many of the cathedrals in Europe today, and it's like a museum there. Very little worship, very little church goes on. Well, in the second half of the 20th century in America, many mainline Protestant denominations began to embrace the same kind of liberal theological views of the European church, and you see this falling away well let me show you something dramatic that has happened within this generation if you look on the screen i want you to see the number of nuns Now, i'm not talking about nuns in the catholic church this is n-o-n-e-s that is those who have no religious affiliation at all in 1997 it was eight percent eight percent of american culture had no religious affiliation of any kind but just 10 years later in 2007 it had almost doubled to 15% and just 5 years later in 2012 it had grown to 20% and by 2018 the last time this survey was done it was grown it had grown to 23% so i imagine it's probably about 25 or 26% of american culture has no religious affiliation of any kind now you see that chart and those of you that are joining us by live video feed or those of you in the room here you realize that is a dramatic sociological change in american culture i mean that is dramatically different in one generation it is a visual picture of apostasy taking place in the church of many falling away and because of that, you're going to see this betrayal occurring that Jesus talks about. Many will betray one another and hate one another. Now, how can that happen? Now, listen very carefully. Are you listening? In 2nd Conway, I don't believe you're any different from the church I pastored in Atlanta, Johnson Ferry Baptist, on Johnson Ferry Road. And that is, our church had tons of what I call cultural Christians. That's people who claim to be a Christian. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe what the Bible says is true. And you have a lot of head knowledge about Christianity, but you have never really entrusted your heart and life to Christ alone for salvation. You're spiritually lost. You think you're a Christian. You believe what it says is true. You've got a lot of head knowledge. But you're spiritually lost. And if you die today, you're going to get to heaven and Jesus says, I don't know you because you don't have that personal relationship with Christ well who is it going to be that is going to betray followers of Jesus in the future it's going to be those that have been in the church that know the true followers of Christ and turn them into authorities because in the pruning of the church it is going to occur more and more as it is more and more socially unpopular to be a part of the body of Christ you're going to see more and more betrayals from those inside right here at second baptist and churches all across our land jesus says expect that but he goes on verse 11 many false prophets will arise and mislead many now question question who is the most famous and influential false prophet that ever lived well the answer is easy it is muhammad He came along about 600 years after Jesus Christ walked on the earth and Muhammad today has influenced almost 2 billion people because the studies show there are about 1.8 billion people in the world that claim to be followers of Islam. The largest religion as of today is Christianity, about 2.1 to 2.2 profess to be Christian, but we realize probably over half of them aren't really Christian, they're just cultural Christians like some of you here in the room. But experts say by 2050 that Islam will be the largest religion in the world because it's growing so much faster than Christianity. Now that's a false prophet, Muhammad, who has had some kind of influence. But here in America, We've had false prophets as well. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon church, that he would call the Church of Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ, if you will look at the life of Joseph Smith and compare it to Muhammad, you see those two men have a whole lot more in common with each other than they do with Jesus. Think about it. Both men were very religious men who wanted to justify sleeping with more than one woman. That's a character trait. Secondly, both men felt like they had these special revelations from God because they both claimed that there had been a corruption of the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. And so they developed a new book that had greater authority than the Bible, be it the Koran or the Book of Mormon. Same kind of mindset. Both men became increasingly violent towards the latter days of their life to those that rejected this idea that they had a special revelation or special revelations from God. They have a lot more in common with each other than they do with Jesus. And yet even today within the church we see all kinds of false prophets. Some of you have even gotten sucked in to the heresy in the church today of prosperity Theology. This idea of you give to God to get. It's the gospel of greed. And you see some of the largest churches in America are all about prosperity theology. It is a heresy. It is not biblical. It just uses all kind of specialized texts out of the scriptures to justify the gospel of greed. And then there's liberal theologues and the liberal pulpits of our land that literally put down the sacred aspects of our faith and the claims of scripture. So there are all kinds of false prophets. And Jesus says, look, this is only going to increase the closer we get to my coming again. But he goes on. He says, because of this, lawlessness has increased and most people's love will grow cold. Now I want to ask you a question. Do any of you who have lived any length of time really believe we are a less lawless culture than 50 years ago? I mean, just I'd be curious if anybody felt that way. It'd take a lot to believe that. Think about the increase in crime just this year. violent crime up 30% in the United States this year all across the country. That's pretty dramatic. Think about what we saw with the terrible racial tension that our country went through in 2020. through some devastating killings that occurred we had one in Georgia it was like a modern day lynching thankfully the the white jury found those white men guilty of a racial crime and a hate crime there in Georgia but it was just so disruptive I felt like I was almost taken back to the 60s in my growing up days of what was occurring and there were understandable protests because of that but then sadly so much of that turned into just sheer lawlessness in the streets in city after city But then another constituency of a different ideology and mindset on January 6th stormed the U.S. Capitol in what was a picture of pure lawlessness. No matter what's your political ideology, it's lawlessness. It's a lack of respect for what is right and what is wrong. And look at what Jesus says, because lawlessness has increased, people's love grows cold. Why does, pe- why does people's love grow cold? Because idolatry grows within the church as it is already of gigantic proportions in the culture as a whole. What is idolatry? It is whatever your preeminent concern is. It could be entertainment, it could be sports, it could be music, it could be your political ideology whatever is the dominant concern of your life becomes an idol because you put it as more important than the Lord Jesus Christ and when that happens our love for the Lord grows cold as we have embraced modern day idols no matter what they might be Jesus says this is going to happen just expect it and he goes on to say in verse 13 he says but the one who endures to the end he will be saved now what is he talking about well when those of you who are followers of christ came to make that decision to entrust your life to jesus christ you became a child of god but here's what jesus is saying about salvation even though it is an individual decision that you make at some point in your life you don't really see if a person got saved till the end of their life Does that mean they become perfect no we all fall short But what Jesus is saying is you can tell when real salvation has occurred because they persevere till the end. In spite of shortcomings and failure, they still believe and know that it is through Christ alone, through faith alone, that we are receiving the good news of Jesus Christ and becoming a child of God. That's what he's telling us about salvation. And that's why he's saying this at the end of this stretch when he talks about the tough times that are ahead for the Christian. So the question today is, will you be ready as they become increasingly difficult for the follower of Jesus in the days ahead? Will you remain faithful or are you one of those cultural Christians that when the going gets tough, you're going to say this is no longer socially popular enough for me. I'm out of here. Where will you stand? Now, Jesus gives all that background in his second coming, because he wants us to understand the urgency of the mission. What is the mission? Look at chapter, look at verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. Question, what is the gospel? If you've lived in the south, if you've come to Second Baptist Conway, you've heard the term gospel. So what is it? What is the gospel? The gospel is Christ died for our sins and Christ rose from the dead. That is the gospel. Now, your pastor, Josh, and other Bible teachers need to elaborate on what that means, that Christ, the Son of God, knowing that we are separated from God because of our sin, shows the love of God for each of us so much that Christ came to volunteer his life to pay the penalty for our sin, which is death and judgment. And that's what he did on the cross. So that when you and I acknowledge our sin and confess our sin and are willing to repent of our sin, which means a willingness to let God change us, then we come to receive the forgiveness of God. But there's a bonus. We also receive the gift of eternal life because Christ not only died for our sins, he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. That is the gospel. But the gospel, be it an individual decision, also has a corporate ramification. Don't miss this. We Americans are so individualistic, we often focus just on the individual decision, but there is a corporate ramification. That is, we enter the kingdom of God when we entrust our heart and life to Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Christ came for the dawning of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. He calls it the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He didn't come for the dawning of denominations. He came for the dawning of the kingdom of God. And an individual church like 2nd Conway or like an individual denomination like Southern Baptist only have eternal value if we are all about not ourselves but the kingdom of God. That's where the real value lies. And Jesus wants us to understand that this gospel of the kingdom is to be preached to the whole world. Where is that? That's your family that doesn't know Christ. That's your co workers that do not know Christ. That's the people of Conway, Arkansas, the United States, the uttermost parts of the world. Everyone needs to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on. Look back at verse 14. He says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Now listen carefully, you don't want to miss this. The Greek word for nations is the word ethnos or ethnos. We get our English word ethnic or ethnicity from it. The genius of Jesus when he gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and when he gives his teaching here is he used the word ethnos because that is about people groups. You go back to a map in 1900 and you'll see all kind of nations that you don't even know about. You'll see all kind of geographical boundaries that are different for the nations today. But Jesus knowing all that would change knew that people groups have a common language and a common culture that stays basically the same. And Jesus is telling us that the gospel of the kingdom is to be preached to every people group on the face of the earth. Missiologists tell us there are over 11,000 people groups on the face of the earth, a common language, a common culture. Some are hundreds of people, some are mega millions of people. Of those 11,000 people group, over 7,000 are considered largely unchurched or unreached. What that means is less than 2% of the population claim to be Christian. But of those 7,000 unreached, about 3,000 of those Have no known Christian or church or Christian ministry of any kind, none. And Jesus tells us that the mission of the church that is so urgent for today is to get the gospel to every one of the people groups on the face of the earth, to give everyone a chance to respond. But here's what's really exciting. Now, listen, are you listening? Just 10 years ago in 2011, missiologists tell us there were over 3,800 unreached and unengaged people groups, which means there are now 800 of those people groups now that have a church amidst that people group. That is the fastest drop of unreached, unengaged people groups in the history of the church over 2,000 years. What it says is God is up to something really big in these days. He is moving powerfully in our world and the question you have to ask yourself is will you be a part of what God is doing in seeing that the gospel of the kingdom is taken to every people group on the face of the earth sin relief wants to be a part of that I was leading a mission conference in Chattanooga earlier this year and one of our international mission board missionaries came up to me said Brian I know we've never met But I want to tell you something about sin relief. You probably don't know about it, and I didn't know about it. But he told me, he said, you know, I'm serving in South Asia. For the last couple of years, we've been spending all kind of focus on discipling the national believers that we're leading to Christ into seeing their vocation, their job, as their mission field. He said, one of the ladies we've been discipling there in this community, she really embraced that. She had a little sewing shop and it's mostly Muslims from small villages around that come and support her business, she began to share her faith with them. She led this Muslim woman to Christ. This Muslim woman led her husband to Christ. He said, before we knew it, there were three Christian families in this small Muslim village of about 1,500 people. Well, as you can imagine, the village elders there in Islam became very upset because that is their definition of apostasy, a Muslim who embraces another faith. That can be deadly. And he said, then COVID hit as it hit the whole world. And all of a sudden, everybody in that Muslim village was scared to death. They were going to starve to death because they don't have the safety net and their infrastructure with governments that are way behind where we are here in the United States as far as providing those kind of services. He says, so at that time, I sent to send Relief, And asked for a $5,000 grant that y'all gave us. We then purchased food supplies locally to enrich that economy there that was struggling so. We then divvied up all those food supplies into giant baskets that would be enough food to feed a family of four for about a month. And we got the national Christians that we had led to Christ to go and make those deliveries in that Muslim village where this lady had led that one to Christ, and there were now three Muslim families. And he showed me a little video on his phone. And on that video, it was showing all those Muslim families coming out of their little huts, giving those Christians a standing ovation at the end of the day as they provided the food to all of that village. And here's what's really exciting now there is a church in that Muslim village. How about that? because a real physical need was met that opened the door for the gospel to be presented there's an old saying hungry men have no ears and when someone is fearful or is dying of starvation that physical need needs to be met so they can then respond to the good news of the gospel that's what sin relief is all about but here's what's doubly exciting listen now. are you listening this missionary at that mission conference in Chattanooga said, Brian, I knew that there were about 3,000 unreached, unengaged people groups that missiologists have told us about back in Richmond, the headquarters of the International Mission Board. So I called Richmond, and I asked him about this Muslim village, and he said, yep, that's one of those 3,000 unreached, unengaged people groups, and now they have a church there. How about that? That's pretty exciting. That's pretty exciting. Jesus is telling us, don't overlook the end of this verse. This gospel of the kingdom should be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, I know some of you feel like you've got all this prophecy stuff and eschatology, the study of end times. You've got it all figured out how it's going to work, but I'm going to put my faith in Jesus, and Jesus says he ain't coming until the job gets done. That's what Jesus says. So I'm going to bank on Jesus knowing more about the second coming than anybody else. He's not coming until every people group on the face of the earth has had an opportunity to hear the gospel, and then we see that wonderful picture, that wonderful picture in Revelation 7:9. It's a picture of the future. Read it later today, Revelation 7, 9 and 10, where a representative of every tongue, tribe, and people group on the face of the earth is around the throne in heaven, worshiping the Lord because there will never be a people group where the majority are followers of Jesus doesn't mean all these people groups come to Christ but in the end there will be a representative or representatives from every people group on the face of the earth that has responded to the gospel of the kingdom in faith and become a part of the eternal kingdom of God What will be your role in joining in with what God is doing in our world today to see that the mission of the church is fulfilled and then Christ comes again? What will be the role of Second Baptist of Conway in building up the kingdom of God through the gospel of Christ being shared with every people group Around the world. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.